1: And a very warm welcome back to Solidarity Breakfast.
2: A left response to the major developments in capitalism.
3: What they trade in is not wheat, they trade in famine. A little dose of revolutionary optimism.
4: I think it's really important to sort of express solidarity globally.
5: It really is a deal by corporations for corporations.
6: The Union
7: forever defending our rights. If you think the ABC's left wing, don't listen to this program.
2: Solidarity Breakfast, 7.30 to 9am Saturdays, 3CR, 8.55am, streaming and 3CR digital, podcast or audio on demand. And of course, the website, solidaritybreakfast.org.au.
7: Solidarity forever!
3: Good morning, everybody. Annie here for Saturday Breakfast on 3CR, Solidarity Breakfast. If you were listening to Stick Together, you would have heard about the uh, uh, plasterboard uh, dispute. Uh, cough, I don't know if I'm saying it right. Cough Borrel Plasterboard, which is in Port Melbourne. The fellows have been pushing for uh, safe work environment and job security and, uh, it has now, uh, escalated to a lockout. And, uh, I'm sure they'd appreciate it if you turned up to say hello to them. Uh, it's at 74 Turner Street, Port Melbourne. So, um, get along and, uh, show your support. Uh, a couple of other things have turned up on our, um, emails. One of them is the ongoing coronial colonial inquest into the death of Kirimanjaya Walker now uh, some there was a lot of resistance against having a coronial inquest but of course for the community uh, it was very very important to be able to actually um, go through what has happened and make it a public statement because a lot of things didn't actually come out in the uh, court case and um, that released the police officer who shot and killed Kaminjah. Now, the court on September the 14th uh, heard from Sergeant Anne Jolly of Endemu Police Station, who during her evidence read a series of text messages from Ralph's phone, Ralph being the uh, officer, uh, outlined in detail to the court by Dr. Peggy Dwyer. In her evidence Sergeant Jolly said she agreed it was shocking to hear a serving member of the police force in 2019 use that blatantly racist disgusting terms to refer to an Aboriginal person Dr DeWire went on to ask, do you agree that it's disgusting and disgraceful and wholly unacceptable Sergeant Jolly responded, yeah it's disgusting yeah it's offensive Uh, the uh, Paramuri committee said it's good that these text messages have been shown to the public for the first time. It really hurts all the family members and community after what has been done to our people and to find out what some people are calling us. These text messages are derogatory, bigotry, racist propaganda, you cannot call people these terms. We are human beings and we cannot tolerate racist people and their racist remarks, said Simon Fisher from the Perumu Committee. Uh, Rurupiri Elder from Indamu. Statement from the Walker Family Representative, is as follows. It is absolutely horrific, though not surprising, to hear some of the text messages that were downloaded from Zachary Rolfe's phone, text messages that he sent and text messages that he received from both citizens and other police officers. In my opinion, these text messages very clearly outline his attitudes and the attitudes of some of his peers towards Aboriginal people. It is woeful that amongst the authors of some of those text messages are high-ranking officers like a sergeant. If high-ranking officers hold these attitudes, you can only expect that they are filtered down the ranks. Though among the text messages included uh, there are only a few officers engaging in the harmful, racist, sexist, homophobic and highly offensive conversations, I believe There must be investigations and disciplinary action in reaction to the conversation exchanges. It begs the question, why did they feel so comfortable expressing those attitudes? One would assume it is because those attitudes may be accepted or at least go undisciplined. This can no longer be an argument about a few rotten eggs. At some point, we need to inspect the chicken creating those eggs. Does it? Have a disease? Yes, racism. If we continue to attribute racist attitudes to singular taste, then no honest no honest and beneficial, beneficial action can be taken to correct them. I believe systemic racism does exist in the police force and if that continues to be ignored, then there will never be meaningful change and Indigenous people will continue to feel unsafe and ignored. That was Samara Fernandez-Brown, Will Peary woman from Indemu, and Carmen, Carmen Jay Walker's cousin. It's very disturbing stuff. Very disturbing stuff. On a happier note, um, there we've been following what's been going on a more local note. Um, Preston Market, Uh, A new development uh, plan has been put forward by the uh, Darabin City Council, which they think um, will protect the current heritage market retained and upgraded with the same traders and spaces the community knows and loves. New quality public open spaces, new apartments and affordable housing appropriate for this accessible location, new office and retail space, building heights responsive to the location, uh, pedestrian and cycling connectivity through the site. Now, this is what their new plan is putting They're putting it forward to the Victorian Planning Authority and Planning Minister to to endorse. Darabin has been fighting to protect the market in response to the Victorian Planning Authority's proposed planning scheme amendment C182 plans to demolish and relocate 84% of the market. Um, they suggest that you look at the uh, Darabin's website to in, have a look at uh, this uh, new plan that they're putting forward. Obviously, it's not a fait accompli because there are developers and state government involvement. So uh, let's see if this uh, uh, local, the local community can actually make a dent on these um, wayward plans. Uh, later in the program, we're going to be, uh, in almost shortly, we're going to be talking to someone who locked on to try and save the, uh, uh, the greater glider, the yellow-bellied glider habitat, which is now completely under threat because the Supreme Court has granted Vic Forrest the right to log in the llama logging coop. And, um, someone's locked on and, and locals have been trying, fighting the good fight. Uh, there are other uh, rumblings happening in a variety of different places around the issue of logging. Just this morning, we received notification that the Marindindi Mer- citizens are supporting a blockade uh, against the logging of the Rubicon Forest Protection Area Um it's a, The blockade has been set up by Forest Conservation Victoria, supported by the Rubicon Forest Protection Group, to highlight extreme logging in one of Victoria's most ecologically diverse mountain forest areas, the Rubicon State Forest. The area sits atop the Siberian Calder, the site of one of the largest volcanic eruptions in the history of the world. Uh, The Blue Range to the west was ravaged by a 2009 Black Saturday fire and the Rubicon and Royston Valleys are devastated by logging so extensive that multiple provisions of the Code of Practice for timber harvesting has been breached. The ecological calamity that has befallen the Rubicon and Royston River Valleys will soon hit the iconic Snobs Creek Valley the last unspoilt valley in the Rubicon Forest, as well as the source of clear, cool mountain water essential for the Snobs Creek Fishery Hatchery, the area is known to the to be home to several threatened species and hosts a remarkable diversity of plant species, many of which will not survive clear fell logging and regenerative burning. So the community has set up a blockade and it started... It's starting now, right this moment And you can go to their Facebook to have a look at the uh, things that are going on Um, The question, of course, is Is Vic Forrest out of control And uh, we'll talk to Mark in two shakes of a lamb's tail But before we do, let's hear some important messages
1: The United Nations International Day of Peace is being marked with a rally on Sunday the 18th of September 12pm at the State Library in Melbourne The theme of the rally is Truth Not War It's inspired by these words of Julian Assange If wars can be started by lies peace can be started by truth This will be a broad-based, inclusive, colourful and peaceful rally with speeches and music for peace joining to show your opposition to AUKUS and the acquisition of nuclear submarines. Take real climate action that recognises the massive emissions caused by wars and arms build up and to march for truth and press freedom to drop the prosecution of peacemakers like WikiLeaks publisher Julian Assange. For more details go to Melbourne for Assange on Facebook. Melbourne for Assange are free to our supporters.
3: You're with Annie on 3CR Solidarity Breakfast and uh, we've got Mark on the line. G'day, Mark. How are you?
8: I'm well, Annie. How are you?
3: Good. Now, you, earlier this month, you were a very busy boy. You were locked on at uh, the Lama logging coop and it's in resistance to clearfell logging habitat of the uh, Greater Glider. Can you talk to our, our listeners about what's going on there?
8: Yes, so the greater glider is uh, one of the most gorgeous little critters in our native forest. Um, and it is an endangered species. And the greater glider lives in mature native forests. So that's old growth trees. Um, and so this is, you know, old growth trees are not a resource that we can get back simply by reforestation. Um, so there's been an injunction against logging coops with greater glider sightings In them, um, in a part of a court case, Um, but Vic Forest successfully managed to somehow get three coups rescheduled um, despite having greater gliders in them. Uh, And so, um, by way of demonstrating our continued resistance against this destruction, um, we well, I decided um, that I couldn't let that happen.
3: Yeah, because as you point out, uh, it falls to ordinary people to take radical action to uh, protect uh, forests that have more value than just the uh, planks that they are made from them when they're felled.
8: That's right, yeah, and a lot of a lot of the forest logging that's going on is going to pallet and wood chips and paper um, so it basically ends up in landfill that 85% of it ends up in landfill after one
3: or two uses Well a couple of years ago I stood on the steps of Victoria Parliament because there was this big announcement saying that there'd be no more logging in state forests but then it was 2030 that that was when it was going to cease yeah. but we're running out of time aren't we?
8: Well, uh, uh, it seems to be the approach of uh, of the forest to make sure that there is no state forest left to log by 2030.
3: Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's like it's like uh, we're running out of the string that's going to hold us to uh, in safety. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um what happened to you? Tell tell us give us a a word picture of what actually happened on the day.
8: Um so um, I was with a, a group of stalwarts, I um, entered the coop in the very early morning. Um, as, a, as a habitual night owl, I, I can't tell you how challenging this was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's probably the worst part of the whole experience. Um, and then, um, yeah, uh, with a, a steel device, a welded steel device, I uh, locked my arms around a logging, ex- like an excavator, I think they called, uh, a harvester, I think they called.
3: Um, They're actually pretty brutal machines, aren't they? Because they do swathes through the, um, the uh, logs, don't they? The trees.
8: Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, they, are, they are terrifying machines and rather large. Um, uh, we sort of heard and saw from the authorities, uh, Vic Forest and, and Game Management Police um, and Vic Police, uh, Vic Poles, at various points throughout the day, um they sort of came and went There's, those those three bodies have different levels of authority and different you know ability to act uh in logging groups and so um there, there came a certain point where uh, I would have been removed if I weren't locked on, so I locked on for good as it were um, and then I stayed there with various authorities um doing their level best to convince me to unlock for about four hours um until about 1 o'clock in the afternoon um, when uh, I guess I'd had enough. And, um, and, yeah, I unlocked myself. And then I gave a quick interview to Nick Pohl, um, was, yeah, gave my identity, um, and then uh, was allowed to leave. They sort of walked me 50 metres down the road and told me to keep going.
3: Mm, that's interesting. Um, who are the game management police and who pays for them?
8: Um, so they're a, a body that is empowered to enact regulations and laws in logging coops specifically, well, and, and in forests, I think, generally. Um, and I would, I would have to imagine that we pay for them.
3: Ah, extraordinary. Isn't this extraordinary? So it's very, very... Uh, they're really, really thinking it through, aren't they? Uh, the uh, issue of... Uh, were you arrested?
8: So I was told that I was under arrest while I was locked on, and that uh, you know while I continued to be locked on, I was under a state of arrest. But once I unlocked, um, I was allowed to leave. Uh, so I wasn't taken into custody. I think because police are relatively under-resourced out in the region, like I don't think they had they have a huge complement or a huge battery of cells uh, to throw me, and they really were reluctant to actually take me into custody. Mm-hmm.
0: Um,
3: Oh, that's interesting. The, now, the uh, what? can you give us an understanding of why the Supreme Court, what what um, grounds did the Supreme Court give for granting Vic Forrest the right to log in this area despite knowing it is home to the endangered Greater Glider?
8: So when the Greater Glider is found um, in a coop that's not been injuncted, uh, Vic Forrester are required to set up exclusion zones at about 240 metres around the area where the glider has been found. Um, and that is the case with these three coops, uh, that gliders have been found. These exclusion zones have been set up. Um, and so Vic Forest were able to successfully argue that, well, we've already set up these exclusion zones in these coops, so we're just going to go and take the rest. But they haven't surveyed the rest of those coops to see if there are more gliders in them. They're just going to cut them down. Um, and so they, could, they can sort of argue that, oh, we've got ex- exclusion zones in place and they can point at a bit of unlogged forest and say, there's your glider, um, don't worry. But they haven't done the due diligence to actually make sure that there are no other gliders in that area.
3: Yeah, what you don't know uh, can't hurt you, as it were. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's it's uh, very good of you people to be fighting um, for the forest, because people sitting in uh, Melbourne, I mean, these forests are actually quite close to Melbourne, but out of sight, out of mind, right?
8: That's right, yeah. So it's um, less than two hours' drive away, um, and might I add that you drive through um, a forest of mountain ash, uh, which is another, another threatened species, this time of trees. Um, and, you know, I'd encourage anyone living in Melbourne to to get out there um, and spend more time in native forests generally for two reasons. One, it's uh, incredibly regenerative and we don't get enough nature in our lives, as city dwellers as it is. Um, but two, once you get out there and you see what they're doing for these places, then I have no doubt that you'll want to start taking the same sort of action that I have been.
3: Mm. We just got some information that uh, there's a blockade at, uh, uh, in the Rubicon where they're trying to protect the uh, uh, Rubicon and Royston River Valleys. It's, it's very similar to what you have been trying to get people to understand that this we're, we're in the middle of a cascading, potential cascading ecological disaster here.
8: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've, I've been a campaigner against um, climate change uh, for some years. And I see this action, um, you know, both as concerning the, the gliders in the forest, um, which are dear to me, but uh, as part of this greater systemic ecological collapse that we're undergoing. And we need to be taking action everywhere um, and in every sphere of life in every industry, um, in every level of government to hold this absolute disaster that we are living through already.
3: So what's the uh, state of play at the moment for the coops?
8: Well, as far as the glider glider having coops go, there's these three coops that have been scheduled. As far as I'm aware, we managed to stop work in one of them for one day but um for no reason to expect they haven't continued. Um I believe the second one that so that was the first one that was rescheduled and um, the second one that was rescheduled be open soon. Um and I I couldn't possibly say what what might happen there. Um, uh but yeah, that's you know, as far as I'm aware, they're they're just gonna go ahead and do it. Um without a lot more people power. Um yeah, I'm afraid, you know, it's very likely that it's going to lose these big groups.
3: Well, who do, they contact, who do people contact to um, perhaps increase the people power?
8: Um, so there are uh, meetings at Blackspark called Cultural Centre on the second Tuesday evening of every, of every month uh, where they can learn about things like surveying um, and uh, the various actions that can be taken. And um, they're held by Victorian Forest Alliance, so not, not affiliated with the direct action. Um, but that uh, various people in Extinction Rebellion as well um, would be a good way to go. Um, and otherwise, yeah, be around forest activism and ask around.
3: Hmm. Thank you very much for talking to me this morning.
8: Yeah, no worries, Annie. Thanks very much for having me.
9: Black Spark is an independent, volunteer-run bookshop, gallery, music and community space in Northcote, Nam, dedicated to creativity, learning and liberation.
5: Black Spark is a space for the entire community,
3: free of charge, hosting art, music and literary events.
9: To keep Black Spark free, open and accessible to everybody, we need your help.
3: We are calling for your support for our rent fundraiser to keep our doors open into the coming years.
9: With your support... We can continue to host book and exhibition launches, art auctions, fundraisers, music gigs, and facilitate opportunities and growth for emerging artists and grassroots
4: communities.
0: For more information, visit Keep Black Spark Alive on chuffed.com
4: or check out Black Spark on all the socials. Keep Black Spark Alive,
0: a 3CR supporter.
9: 3CR Community Radio, giving the voice to community since 1976.
4: He had on my pillow, I wanted to say, but nothing is open. your bedside is taking on four your blue box and suitcase await by the door Stir at the ceiling, stir at the walls Afraid of the feeling of letting you go If I close my eyes, you'll go away So I'm keeping them open, so you'll have to stay
3: You're back with Annie on 3CR Breakfast. And uh, we've got company. Uh, Judith. G'day, Judith. How are you? I'm well, thanks. It's lovely to see you this morning, Annie. Yeah, yeah. we would, be, it would uh, be good to put the microphone on. Yeah, it is <laughs> <Always> good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, the reason why we've got you in is because you've been doing some reporting for uh, Earth Matters and uh, people may or may not be aware that there's been a, um, it's been revealed that multinational companies, Schlumberger, I always thought Schlumberger.
10: Well, it's also, it's pronounced in a kind of French way as well, Schlumberger or Schlumberger, but most people I've heard are saying Schlumberger. <laughs> so,
3: yeah. And TGS are seeking approval to conduct a 3D seismic survey in a massive area of the Otway Basin, offshore from Tasmania, South Australia and Victoria, in order to locate fossil gas deposits below ocean floor. The proposed area is approximately 7.7 million hectares, making this potentially the largest 3D survey in history. But they're going to be doing drilling, right?
10: Well, no, but right now the big concern is about the seismic testing. Ah. Uh, yeah, and you probably heard uh, uh, in late August that new ocean acreage has been released by the Federal Government. Acreage? Yes, so more spaces that could be um, explored. And the first step to exploration is typically the seismic testing, as you've just, um, you've just talked about. So the story I'm working on for Earth Matters, we're going to hear from people who live along the coast of, of Victoria, along that area, and why it's it's such a big issue for them. And a bit later we'll get a taste of what they had to say. But I thought it might be good, Annie, to begin by talking about what a seismic survey actually is. Do you, do
3: you know much about it at all? Uh, I just, I assume that, um, no, I assume that it's a, a ship goes across that maybe also – I have in my mind death uh, that they put in charges or – Yeah,
10: so, you know, it, it's been my experience and also the experience of the people who were demonstrating in Apollo Bay last January that a lot of people they were speaking to about it didn't know what it was. So, I thought maybe I'd start with just – Yeah, go for it. Yeah. So it's, and I have also discovered that it's more accurately termed seismic blasting. Yeah, because so that's why I mean, it's discharges, yeah, right? Yeah, yes. And as you said, also used to locate fossil fuels in the seabed. So survey ships that are owned by multinational companies kind of travel around the world yeah. doing these kind of tests and gathering data about where you know fossil fuel deposits might be. And then they sell their data. That's right. Yeah. I did mo- know that. Yeah, easier. because
3: because uh, because this is the the issue around the, the Timor Sea, and also the um, hydrogen um, deposits that are in that uh, in that area, which was uh, um, a uh, a secret that was held by corporates for them to be able to make large amounts of money in the future. But anyway.
10: Yeah, no, so I was just thinking, you know, so what does that look like? Mm. And uh, so you'd see boats towing an array of air guns, the guns, and receivers, uh, because it, it, they have to you know, have receivers to get the sounds. And uh, it, cover, it looks like a grid, covers a, um, an area of oceans, kind of a grid pattern. And I guess the thing that's pretty important to know is the air guns emit, emit blasts that send deafening sound waves through the water column deep into the ocean floor. And then the sound waves bounce back. So we're talking about blasts that generate up to 250 decibels going off every 10 seconds. Geez. No, this is, I think, I think people have a general idea, but think of that if you're in the water, every <laughs> 24 hours a day.
3: Seven days a week and often for months. And do they know what effects this is hap- having on the ecology of the seafloor? Well, I mean, is it- this related to why whales' f- beach? themselves and that sort of stuff? Well, there's a couple of things. I mean, one is, uh, I guess,
10: they know that, or they, they, they I think they know. They
3: pontificate. <laughs> they imagine. No, no,
10: that it doesn't actually damage the ocean floor, so the geological stuff. So last year, when people were really concerned about these blasts, this blasting happening, you know, 5Ks, five k's, five kilometres from where the the Twelve Apostles are. Ah, yes. Yes, there was a big fuss about that, you may remember. Uh, but there wasn't a risk to the apostles. I, I don't think we were going to lose one of them. <laughs> oh, but also, they're
3: sandstone, so they're slowly but surely eroding yeah. away. So
10: yeah, but but the testing, as you said, um, does affect sea creatures and in lots of ways. And while there's a need for lots, lots more research, we do know certain things. And one is it has been linked with the beaching of whales, and uh, it has an impact on their breeding, their food, uh, their migration, and also that makes them vulnerable to errors of navigation. So, you know, moving around, finding things, they're very dependent on hearing. If hearing is damaged, that's a problem. So that's certainly for whales, That's, that's and dolphins, and uh, and turtles as well. So that's been a huge issue, but another one is it, we know from the research now that it destroys plankton.
3: Oh no! Yes, yeah. the end of the world as we know it. Well, it, it's what
10: whales feed on, and it's also central, you know, to the whole food systems. So that's that's huge, and then scallops. Now, do you remember back in 2010 there was a, there was um, um, the scallop fishers were wanting compensation for the loss. Of, um, of scallops due to seismic testing back then, 2010. No, I don't remember. No, there was, there was a lot of news about it. But at that time, of course, um, it was said, oh no, we have no proof, we have no proof. But
3: 2017. It's like the, it's like the, um, uh, cancer clusters. We have no proof. We have no
10: proof. Well, we can go back to the tobacco Tobacco industry. Back to 1980 when they were... You can't prove. Yeah, so that... you know, But anyway, 2017, a a study found that that the impact of a seismic survey... Sorry, I'm just going to quote here. The degree of exposure increased the risk of mortality significantly in scallops and showed compromised physiology over a chronic time frame which from there, there were no signs of recovery over the course of those experiments. So um, so the loss of the scallop fishery in parts of the Bass Strait, that was a huge issue. That's been a huge issue. But rock lobsters also that are fished you know, off Apollo Bay, they they have found that it damages their sensory organs that enable them to escape predators. And uh, very recently, whiting and Flathead, uh, they found the off research off-lakes entrance in Victoria, they found that seismic testing uh, done in 2020 uh, had a reduction in whiting catches and a reduction in Flathead. So...
3: So what we're, what, what we're talking here about is the environmental destructiveness of it, but also the economic destructiveness of it. That's right.
10: And, and you know, fishers are right to be really concerned about it. Um,
3: but it, there's, uh, there's been um, calls for... Uh, uh, there's quite a few people who like the local Aboriginal people have yes. set out, sent out messages of disapproval. Uh, there's the surfers environment, they've uh, uh, called out saying, alerting people that this is a real problem and now of course we've got the uh, uh, the fisheries people um, Also on a, on a completely different much bigger level well, it's the same level really uh, where is this uh, turning around of the juggernaut of the fossil fuels that's destroying the world when they're continuing just, you know, like there's just this, you know, greenwashing going on while on the um, the ground level, the economic powers that be are just continuing to... A destroy environment. You do wonder who's running the country. Well, the corporations are running <laughs> the country, right?
10: You do, and and of course there have been seismic surveys, and more accurately called seismic blast, um, blasting, in the Otway Basin for some years now. But there are it's been going on as going back to twenty ten. Although that in that case it was um, Geoscience Victoria that was doing that blasting. Oh, so yeah. we
3: paid for
10: it. Well, I haven't to find it. out whether we did pay the compensation on that one. I no, no, know, no. I mean, with all mm. these
3: surveys, mm. um, for example, I know this is not the same place, but uh, with the Timor Sea, for example, the Australian federal government paid for all this surveying, which was then given over to the uh-huh. uh, to the corporates.
10: Yeah, and so I don't know so much this about time, that one, uh, but this one by GeoScience was looking at uh, where you could do carbon capture and storage. That was, I think, ah, oh, that's uh, exactly yeah, so right, down along that coast. Yes, Yeah, so that was a sort down of a down
3: near Gippsland.
10: Yeah. So, but you know, I was thinking about you know what what's it like? If, sorry, just for because of the um, the you know the blasting itself. And uh, you've got to make sure that there's no one else in the area, right? So the the if you're out, if that's the a bit like out the there, um,
3: what is it, the uh, atomic bombs? <laughs> no, 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 well, not well. You know, the local Aboriginal community were there, but nobody else was there. Oh, but I thought you but mean but Pacific the, sea, in the Pacific Islands. Yeah, no, yes. But I mean, with the with this, how do what you're saying is how do you make sure that there's nobody else there? But it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Yeah. So so
10: when you have a flotilla out there, you need boats in front of them and around them to make sure there are no other boats in the area and uh, so this might be an interesting story for people listening that um, I was told by Lisa Deppler from Ocean the Otway Climate Emergency Action Network so one of the fishers uh, in from out from Apollo Bay uh, did encounter one of these scouting boats I guess so maybe we could just hear what happened it's uh, Lisa's story. Is it the uh,
3: larger one or the smaller? The larger one.
5: We've got a fisherman in town, Trevor Barker. Trevor fishes from a pretty small boat. He doesn't go out for days on end like everybody else. He goes out and comes back every night. It's the most gorgeous little timber boat that he's got. You often see him off the beach, actually, dropping his pots not that far away. Trevor had a a favourite reef that he used to fish. It was off Moonlight Heads and it was a good, reliable spot for him for getting some crayfish. He's told me a story about one day where he got actually chased off the reef because the seismic ship was coming. The seismic ship has these smaller boats scouting around to make sure uh, nobody's in the way of the ship and the seismic blasting for lots of reasons. They're generally towing an array of receptors that can be five and eight kilometres long. So, you know, they can't stop suddenly or get tangled up. He went back to that site that was blasted a couple of weeks later. He pulled up his pots and there were no craze, but what shocked him more was that there was no bycatch in those pots. He puts those pots down there with a tasty fish or some sort of bait or morsel and normally it will attract some leather jackets or some hermit crabs or octopus sometimes. There was nothing. His pots came up empty with his bait still in them.
10: Oh, that's so scary! Yeah, well, so I mean, for Trevor, and he's Trevor's on the record with that story too. It's been published um, in a number of articles that I've seen. So, yeah, I mean, for people fishing, that's certainly worrying. And as we've said, there's already been quite a lot of seismic testing in the Otway Basin, but this one is different. And maybe we'll just hear from Lisa again from Ocean.
5: It's the sheer size of the project, but it's all in 3D, which is more damaging to zooplankton. Because it's 3D, the blasts don't go down directly. They go out in the cone shape. And the grid lines where the ship goes back and forward ensure that those areas, they have overlap. They have to have overlap to get the 3D. So critters that can't get out of the way get hit multiple times. If they do find large gas deposits and they decide to mine it, we're looking at a minimum of 15 years before they've tapped into it and it's online. In 15 years' time, we need to have moved on. If the Australian government accepts this gas exploration, we might as well reconcile ourselves to a two or three degree global warming. We can't be mining new gas in 15 years plus time.
3: Yeah, which is the nub. Isn't it? Yeah, indeed. I mean, why are these people doing this?
10: Yes, and why are they being allowed to do to it? To do it. Yeah, and I guess that's the next. And I'm sorry, that was Lisa Deppler from Ocean, the Otway Climate Emergency Action Network, and she'll be to speaking more about what's been happening in the Earth Matters show. So that's just a little um, um, segment of one of the things that she's talked about. But um, the other problem is really it's the regulatory framework here in, you know, federally, and um, the that is really worrying people. So what happens and kind of where it's at at the moment is there, there's an organization called Nopta, which is the National um, Offshore Petroleum. Oh gosh, I can't remember what the last bit is. But all these later. But it gives it gives out titles, so I do have it. Um, all the, all these acronyms to get your head around. But uh, they do they give the, so so what's happened? What's their is, purpose? Yeah, to give
3: out a, a license
10: permission to actually do the exploration, so there's them. And,
3: and who are the people who are on the board? This is the thing that I've discovered is that uh, whenever, you know, so for example, just this is a side issue, yes. when you look at uh, the uh, issue of uh, the um, licensing given to chemicals in our uh, farming systems, you discover that uh, people who are allowing these sorts of things, who are on the advisory committees, are actually... Hand in glove with the chemical companies. Yeah, I mean this is interesting. I mean be- I don't know.
10: No, no, I know. And but this it was interesting because uh, former senator uh, Rex, Rex Patrick actually interrogated not uh, about what their responsibilities were in in Senate's estimates, and it was quite an interesting conversation as he tried to <laughs> kind of get get to the bottom of the matter. But um, but after they give the license and approve it, and my last, and it's hard to negotiate the website, but my last. Look for this application, it was saying more information required. That was a few days ago so I didn't look this morning, so I don't know if anything's changed. But typically after that they go to another organisation called NOPSEMA, and I can give you the whole thing for that. It's the National Offshore Petroleum Safety and Environmental Management authority. Oh yes, and so the, oh. so this gr- they've covered it. <laughs> yeah, and this group will require an environmental plan. Oh, really? And also require that. But they've sub- already
3: started doing the seismic uh, investigations. So isn't it? No, of- they're no. They haven't started doing. I mean,
10: there've been past ones, but this is the proposed one. So uh-huh. at the moment, they're looking for approval. Ah, so so typically they'll get uh, the prim- you know their application through in NOPTA. And uh, then they'll go to Nopsema. Then it's you can yeah. yeah, and passed on. But in, with Nopsema, they have to. There's a month consultation process, and uh, in which they need to consult with um, particularly it, well anyone affected. So what I'd like a whole as, month, uh, yeah, whole month. Um, there's a bit of a concern. No wonder that, all
3: these <laughs> different people have got their running shoes on because they've <laughs> they're already aware of how. You know that that's a very short window. Absolutely,
10: and it's also very limited who 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 can be consulted with, so it has to be just people who have who they see have kind of a business interest. People like fishers. So I'd like to now hear from um, again from from the Earth Matter show, Marcus Nole, who's chair of the Apollo Bay Fishermen's Co-op, and he highlighted that when I spoke with him down at Apollo Bay.
7: So nobody from the community can write in and complain about any of this and have that complaint considered because the petroleum company can say, you are not an impacted party. We will not listen to any generic complaints about anti-fossil fuel positions. We will not listen to any claims of cumulative impact because requirement is not there for us to consider cumulative impact. So all of these genuine concerns from your average citizen who's not operating out there in the oceanic environment... By design, those voices cannot be heard, which is why the petroleum companies will say, oh, we, you know, we get all the permits we need to get and all of our environmental plans are approved by NOPSEMA. So at face value, it sounds like you know, everything's being done, but the underlying design of the regulatory framework is totally flawed. If you've got a regulatory regime which allows the suppression of concern, the suppression of risks, if that regime is allowed to Function as it does now We we can't get anywhere Because we don't have a leg to stand on
3: It's outrageous isn't it I mean it's uh, the pretense They're using um, The uh, As the previous government did uh, They uh, constantly uh, created uh, systems to pretend that they're actually dealing with the problems. Well, apparently the E for environment, it was only added,
10: uh, I think, seven or eight years ago. I can't remember the exact date. But um, in, in the Nopsema, so Another previously of... it was more safety, uh, yeah, offshore Yeah, yeah, yeah. Safety. Uh, Greenwashing. It's greenwashing. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, this is a real concern. So there will be a month, but as you say, people have to get their skates on and then it's very limited who can actually apply or, or contribute to that Is this
3: Victorian government or Australian government? No, this is federal government, federal. but
10: there's also a joint authority, which is the federal and state government, which also has a role in approving these kinds
3: of things. So that's just another thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. With, with economy mm. trumping environment.
10: Yeah. So. I guess you mentioned First Nations people. The Southern Ocean Protection Embassy Collective, SOPEC, has put out a press release about this. They're deeply concerned. They're against any new seismic blasting or gas well development in the Southern Ocean across Gujibara Sea Country, and they're calling for immediate halt to it. The the Colac Otway Shire Council has also opposed it, and they've written to key politicians and ministers so clearly, the citizens aren't happy about this proposal with by GTS and Schlumberger, and uh, we'll be waiting and watching carefully to see what happens. And particularly, if and you know, if and when, well, if the title is approved, if their application is approved by NOPTA, and then if it goes to NOPSEMA for. A 30-day consultation, but I just—but there's a little bit of good news, but not necessarily here in Victoria. In South Africa, a high court has just banned energy company Shell from conducting 3D seismic surveys, which were planned for off the coast, the, the east coast of South Africa. And uh, though the campaigners apparently argued that the shock waves, and you'll know this from what I said before. Shockwaves every 10 seconds, 24 hours a day for 5 months, would potentially harm marine species and disrupt their routines, and scientists warned that extreme noise endangers sound-sensitive wildlife such as whales. Dolphins and sea turtles. So there's been two cases now in South Africa where seismic testing has been stopped. This one was on the East Coast. There was another one on the West Coast. Interestingly, that one was an Australian company. Mm. And uh, they were stopped because, guess what, they hadn't consulted with local people. Mm-hmm. And secondly, they did start before their environmental plan was approved. So we have, I mean, there's two court precedents now in South Africa that we can look at and it will be interesting to see if more, more come out. So anyway, Annie, I know you... So when
3: when, when is... um this earth matters it's it's on oh, yes. sunday at 11am is it this
10: week or no, is it coming no it's not up? till august the 2nd so um i would encourage august people august the 2nd no sorry august october so, thank you. <laughs> Glad someone's awake. <laughs> 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 no, it's October the 2nd, and yeah, 11 o'clock on Sunday. But I would encourage people to keep an eye on what's happening, you know, before that. just to, I mean, it's very easy. You can easily do a search on seismic testi- testing Otway Basin. Friends of the Earth has done some great reporting on it. There's been reports on this one in both The Guardian and also the ABC's reported on it. But uh, it is important. And and I think it should be an election issue, actually, because we've got at least three uh, three electorates that are, you know, affected by this,
3: not more. Mm. Thanks for coming in, Judith. Well,
10: thanks for having me and, and for the time, Annie. Lovely, lovely to be here.
6: Solidarity, Bricky Team Lister, when, as we celebrate the first anniversary of the former government signing us onto the Hawk Us, Hawk US nuclear sub trained killing deal, it's time to reflect how important that change should not change. A week when the Her Most Gracious Majesty of True Blue Aussie became the His Most Gracious Majesty of True Blue Aussie. Minor semantic change, but thankfully, True Blue Aussie remains led by a European inbred family, our mother country, while Hawk Us, Hawk US ties True Blue Aussie to our father country, our real leader. As another change to a new... His Most Gracious Majesty's Government also leads to no change at all. The new His Most Gracious Majesty's Loyal Government is just as dedicated to trade killing and the merchandise of the U.S. of merchants of death as the caring business class at hayseed and Coal coalition lot on which we also still support extracting and burning and exporting coal and gas, albeit with a small change. The new lot, the socialists, argue that extracting and burning and exporting fossils will help us address the problem of fossils. And yet, within these comforting transitions, there are some radical iconoclasts who would have us make untrubluwazi changes, like they express disappointment that the new government and its Minister for Train Killing and being offensive, Richard Malls the Bad Guys, brackets, as determined by the US of, would take a different approach from the previous lot and its Minister Constable Peter Duffer. They even, and how's this for reckless disregard for our security, even want Troubler was he to tear up the Hawke us deal and not spend a few sensible trillions on nuclear subs. Their perfidy, their naivete expressed this week by no a sage than the head of the US of the UN of the US of the World Studies Centre and head of the University of Sydney's US of Foreign Policy Studies Centre, Michael Green. A former foreign policy advisor to former US of Big Supremo George W. Bash the Workers, and we all admire his spectacular success in foreign policy. Mission accomplished. Perhaps George W. read Michael's wise advice upside down. Interesting. Michael Green for we recall Marshall Green US of Ambassador leading up to the dismissal of the Whitlam government who then left who then left uh, shortly after that mission had been accomplished. Marshall Green who happened to be in several countries when governments the US of didn't like were overthrown and replaced by governments the US of did like. Like a real coincidence. Anyway, Michael Green, the U.S. of, he told us, will become more dependent on True Blue Aussie for its train-killing operations and intelligence, showing that train-killing is intelligent, and we must deepen our engagement with Taiwan to keep the evil Chinese at bay. Owen oh, Michael has a close, the quote, has a close relationship with key Canberra policymakers like Andrew Shearer, head of the Office of National Intelligence and the principal intellectual proponent of Hawk Us. See, more comforting continuity of trained killer policy, although not sure the words hawk Us and intellectual go together. With all that, why would anyone want to change things, listener? Thank goodness, despite threats from a lawless socialist government bent on allowing crime to run riot, the Troubler Aussie smashed the evil union's Jack Boots con mission rampages on in its relentless commitment to truth, justice and the Troubler Aussie way, exposing crime where some naively think no crime exists, knowing the words trade unions and crime are synonymous. This week dragging the recidivist evil CFMEU and five officials before the beak for the heinous crime of calling a scab a scab. Sorry, sorry, I'm committing a crime myself here. Uh, Calling good, good workers who just want to do a fair day's work for an unfair day's pay scabs. Can we think of anything more criminal? And for that other gross illegality, a picket line at a builder who simply exercised its legal right to refuse to negotiate with the union. And not only calling the good, good workers scabs, but using that word, that word, the F word, showing what uncouth, lower than low types belong to evil unions. Knowing we would never hear that sort of language from respectable, responsible great figures in the corporate boardrooms or in the boss's office on building sites. The union and officials face thousands and thousands in fines, but surely that's not enough. But, but at least we can be thankful we've still got the smash-the-evil union's jackboots commission looking after us. But then Thursday, tragedy. A long-running case against the evil union about right of entry and that sort of thing was thrown out when the evil union produced footage showing the caring builder's lackey, the chief prosecution witness, had lied. Oh dear, doesn't it show how evil the union is, as the Smash the Union's Jackboot Commission explained? The problem was the union had not shown it the evidence. The depths of their criminality, for surely the commission whose role is to smash the union should expect the union to do its job for it. Yet another inquiry, yet another expose of gross criminality and corporate malfeasance. This time, the Star Chamber Casino in Sydney, joining the banks, the financial institutions, the Crook Casino, in a litany of reports like the Crook Casino, the latest Star Chamber report, finding it not fit to hold its private mid-licence as therefore the banks and the financial institutions and the casinos continue their business. And seeing we're talking of gambling, you can get 100 to 1 and blowing in the market. They're finding that like the crook, uh, lot Star Chamber is unfit to hold a licence will mean it will not continue to hold a licence. Thus, we note all these commissions and inquiries have exposed grave criminality by executives of these corporations, so obviously, there must have been some pretty severe penalties to the corporate crooks dragged before the courts like um, like uh, like uh Hang on, don't don't tell me, not one corporate crook has faced the music or is ever likely to face the music. Showing, and there's a most reasonable explanation, respectable business corporate crooks are not evil, evil union officials or evil workers calling scabs, scabs. Oh, sorry, sorry, I've done it again. Uh, Workers who want to do a fair day's work for an unfair day's pay, scabs. After all, the great corporate crook corporations point out the rampant crime does not reflect their company values and will not reflect their company values until the funeral settles down and they can get back to business as usual. Upset that it mightn't be business as usual, the good unions, the caring business class unions, were critical of one of their number, the Council of Small Business Profits Association, saying it might go along with uh, multi-caring employer wage deals. But the association has attempted to clear up the concern by announcing unions should have nothing to do with any deals between employers and staff meaning staff will have to contact other caring employers' staff at random, asking, uh, do you want to do a deal with our caring employers, which, which should work a treat? But even better news for caring employers, a report this week from two reserve capitalist bank economists, whose governor, we recall, told workers last week they must take a wage cut because the alternative would be much worse. Presumably, caring employers would have to take a profits cut. Heaven forbid, two economists reported a wage price spiral as in the 70s. When, incidentally, wages kept up with or even ahead of inflation, which was why the Whitlam government brought in quarterly wage indexation to raid in wages. Anyway, it's unlikely to happen. Phew. The caring employers are breathing a sigh of because of, quote, a weakening of workers' bargaining power against businesses and fewer automatic inflation-linked pay rises. Yippee! Great news. Unless, of course, you're a worker. Yes, most workers were unionised back then and they were out of control, but any wonder caring employers want good outcomes for their lazy, avaricious workforces without evil union interference involvement, knowing the best result can be achieved by one-on-one equal negotiations between themselves and the weakened worker bargaining power, showing caring employers only want the best for their workers. And evil unions are are agent on destroying that one-on-one we're all equal, one big happy family equation. Like the big happy, you're a Pratt family at the top of True Blue Aussie's filthiest rich or the filthy rich list, thanks to its busy and lots of other investments, busy for visionary, seeing trillions in workers' super, lovely, lovely money and determined to get his filthiest rich hands on it. He being Anthony, you're a Pratt We all recall his father, Big Dick, who died before a corporate crook charge, could be heard thanks to a very expensive lawyer. Anyway, Vizzy's paper recycling plant in Reservoir is making life unbearable for its neighbours thanks to constant stinking odours emerging from its stacks, causing lots of illness And locals say even when they have their windows shut, the stink still oozes in. Vizzy last year find a crippling... $9,000 for failing to remedy the problem, crippling because the family wealth was estimated at a meagre $24.3 billion, real figure. But the Environmental Pollution Authority... Oops, sorry. Uh, Protection Authority, with its renowned concern for the environment and innocent communities affected by pollution, announced Visi now says it will be it will uh, fix the hood exhaust and four roof stacks by mid 2023. Talk about harsh. Suppose there was no thought the plant would be closed until it was fixed and, well, with only $24.3 billion in their pockets, the Eura Pratt family couldn't possibly afford to fix it any sooner. The local community simply has to hold its breath. We asked Anthony how he came to work his way to the top of True Blue Aussie's filthiest rich of the filthy rich, obvious talent. Mainly, he mused, cos Big Dick and Mum... Had sex one night. Positive progressive move from an unlikely source, the His Most Gracious Majesty Melbourne Show, which is banned this year because of disease threats like foot in mouth, something they often get in the witness box as they're stitching up some poor character, meaning show patrons silly enough to waste their money will at least be spared tasers and capsicum spray and guns and sharp boots. Oh, and just in case you haven't heard, although our opening would have helped you realise, just in case, because there's been so little coverage, Her Most Gracious Majesty died. Actually, one report said train killers were guarding the coffin 24 hours a day, and I thought, who would want to steal it? But the obsequious acolytes do, um, do praise her by saying she never had a thought in her life or something to that effect. And my word, she certainly specialised in that. Caring business class party supremo and would-be big supremo, Constable Peter Duffer, has already insisted that her replacement, King Big Ears, must also have no thoughts whatever if he is to be a good king. A leadership skill the Duffer's mastered with honours. Finally, incredibly, as the Lord Rupert of Wapping said as an example, has destroyed about two large forests in its wall-to-wall coverage, including day after day of a 16-page lift-out over and above all the rest. Over the demise of a nonagenarian British great-grandmother, it managed but 16 paragraphs on P15 for the death of a great Troublou Uncle Jack Charles, who will be sadly missed. A bloke who always treated you like a long lost, who survived so much and who was both a wonderful Indigenous campaigner and a wonderful Troublou human being. Good morning.
9: Hi, I'm Ahmed from Fitzroy Primary School, and you're listening to Community Radio on 3CR.
3: And you're with Annie. And uh, the uh, we're going to we're coming to the last part of the program. Uh, Australian Earth Laws Alliance. You may not have heard of them, but they're in the midst of Earth Laws Month. That's the whole of September. And they've been holding a whole range of quite fascinating webinars. And this is just a little bit. This is uh, Mary Graham from the uh, Regenerative Songlines Australia, uh, Caring for Country. Uh, This is a few well-chosen words, I'd say.
7: Bit of a yarn. Um,
6: Yep. Except only Mary's about to speak, so...
0: No,
3: no,
6: go on. We might do that in about forty minutes or so. does like yarn. I
0: don't know. I don't know where you even start. Because um, um, I, I try to look at, um, I try to look at um, things going on in the world, though, too. And it seems like we're being surrounded by a whole bunch of perfect storms coming. You know, some of them already here. Of course, climate change, uh, endless wars. Some um, brain dead people in um, in the military-industrial um, complex think that we can have a, a a short-term nuclear war. You know, they actually think like that. And these are people who run countries. I mean, you can't believe the quality of people who are actually running countries nowadays. You know, um, so I do I do believe. Um, that if you try to look at just simply the earth, the environment on its own, how can I be a better carer for of land? It's not enough. It's not enough. Um, you've got to be not just uh, for peace, because that's a huge load, loaded question, I reckon, loaded uh, statement about peace. You've got to be properly anti-war, because war is going all around, going on all around us, war against other people in other countries, that is, other cultures too, not only our own here. Um, war against the land, of course, the whole the whole environment. War against women. War against, say, 10-year-old Aboriginal kids who get thrown into jail, you know. Um, war against poor people, you know. So I think you have to be far more, all of us, but especially white fellows. I'm sorry I'm, sound, I'm sounding racist now, I suppose, but you've got to be openly openly against Australia following meekly behind powerful other hegemonic rulers to go into yet another war. Because all that is saying, well, look, this whole thing about climate change, this whole thing about looking after the environment, you know, it's it's something that, well, let's face it, most people do for a hobby, you know. Some people are doing it seriously, but most people, many, many people are doing it for a hobby. Aboriginal people do it. Because it's the meaning of life, actually, it's the meaning of life. But because they're finding it, a whole lot of people are finding it hard to even survive. You know, um, they've got to do it when they can, actually, too. You know, um, so um, I just, I just think a whole lot of things have to be started to be looked at, really, in conjunction with a whole lot of other stuff. And it sounds like a, an overwhelming, um, a punishing kind of um, responsibility. But for what one thing that um, for, for, for Europeans they could pick up very quickly and it, i don 't think it takes any great um, no no great uh, thinking about it is that to realize that you 're not alone in the world, I think Europeans from a long time ago have thought, and maybe it started with their own Greek philosophy, maybe it started when um Uh, Big agriculture came into being, but they imagine that they're alone in the world and that the whole of life is a survivalist situation where you have to fight like mad because the environment and other peoples are always going to be potentially hostile. So you've got to look after number one first. So people have lived their lives, and not only Europeans, I'm not saying that, uh, other cultures too, have lived their lives as if that's all that matters. And here's this ancient place here. That didn't compete, didn't give in to the survivalist ethos, or the um, the competitive ethos, which comes from that ten, twelve thousand years ago, big agriculture, uh, and its a, a competitive ethos is just simply part of the uh, survivalist ethos. They didn't give in to that. They they pursued a relationalist ethos, that is where you work together. You work together all the time, whether you like each other or not. It's all right not not liking each other and having a fight. (laughs) That's all. There's there's heaps of dreaming stories about how blackfellas had this battle or that war with each other and so on. It's all there. Uh, But they didn't invade one another. That was where they held back. That's why you can look at the Aboriginal map. You see hundreds and hundreds of places, possibly thousands. Um, Now, if if, if invasion had been a concept that we took up as a hobby, like a whole lot of places around the world did, you would have seen you would see less or fewer um languages. Because what does an invader do? The an invader uh forces the invader to talk the invaders language. That's the first thing they do, and of course they did that too, Aboriginal people do, but everybody from the Romans on, you know, did that too. Um so um so you I know it sounds a huge task, but I think a whole lot of people have to start from the beginning about and re-look at um, the the beginning as in ten, twelve thousand 12,000 years ago, big agriculture, because, you know, that's what they're fighting about now around the world. eh? That's what they're fighting about. about. They're fighting about who will control all the world's resources, and the environment is just one of them. You know what I mean, which includes extractive stuff. But now it's come into all the technology, whiz bang technology. You know who should run it? That's what all these wars are about. So it would be a wonderful if if you just promise yourself one thing, and that you try and work hard as anything, writing, acting, protesting, and so on, to try and steer Australia and the um, the um, uh, third rate leaders. I'm sure he means, well, it's a good bloke, Albanese, you know, who knows. We'll know in about six months, eh, for sure. But uh, there are signs already, you know. Um, But we have to try to get it through people's minds, especially the people who see themselves as leaders, um, to um, try and come up with a different global governance system because that's what's desperately needed now. And there are a lot of good... Very good, excellent writers are saying that a different governance, um, global governance system. Um, it's too late for poor old Karl Marx. Nobody wants an ideology anymore like that, or any ideology. the um, the religious um, The religious community, you know, the churches—they're they're all bankrupt, morally bankrupt now. So nobody's going to, nobody looking for that either. Um, so somehow it's it's got to come back to working out a, a system. Of looking after land, however, and there are other ideas. Um, people's uh, people uh, citizens assemblies. That's a good inven- invention, actually, that I've only read about. That whitefellas in the UK, I've heard about coming together. That is um, like their jury system. A whole bunch of whitefellas or fellas people get to getting together and exercising what they like to call democracy. So I think democracy is a bit of a gamble, actually. You know, I don't have much faith in it at all. And thank heavens we're not Democrats, you know. But we have our own system, you know, um, consensus, you know. uh, Don't rely on individuals, you know. Consensus, that's the way to go. Um, So we need a different system. You've got to realise, that's the first thing. But in order to do that, you've got to realise you are not alone in the world. That has come down from through thousands of you call call it what you like wars battles uh conflicts uh, competitiveness, all the great uh, including the philosophies, which I admire tremendously by the way, I do admire them, but a lot of it is too much about um you know how should I live, you know how should I live. You can you can rephrase that as in how can I survive? How should I survive? Actually, <laughs> easily, Socrates said that. You know, just change the word live for survive. That's what it actually means. You know, that's my. You know, uh, I'll argue with a philosopher about that. <laughs> and uh, and it's a good idea to have a um, a logic like ours too. It wouldn't do any harm. As in all perspectives are valid and reasonable. It means being non-judgmental. Non-judgmental. You know, um, and of course, the practical things, the actual looking after the land, actual looking after the land, protest or whatever you like, you know, however you want to do it but um uh, in in a short line, I can think of um, uh, to describe our own system without going into all the sacred secret stuff I, I wouldn't talk about that even if I did know it or could. Um, our own old system is a sacralized um, ecological. Um, collaborative stewardship system so that's a collective meaning of life so you can't afford to be lonely don't don't get 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 over this loneliness stuff you know uh, and and uh, adopt a collective philosophy of life that is to be stewards. And then because you're all individuals, then you can have your own individual meaning of life. And that can be anything, you know, take a pick, pick a card, you know, pick a meaning of life, whatever it is, <laughs> ideology or religion. But the collective one is to be stewards of the country. So we are stuck in this position now, Aboriginal people, of uh, because our, our stewardship – never ends our law of obligation can't ever end it mustn't end we have to keep doing it and even including and i agree with you tyson we should have been more upfront about this that this is what white fellows have to learn they'll learn they'll learn um uh the best way of looking after the country and that's that's the a two-step thing the relationship between land and people, and the relationship between people. And the, re- the relationship between people has always got to be contingent on the relationship between people and land. So, the way the care, the great care of looking after land, that becomes a template for the kind of um, political and social ordering system that we have. That's enough.
9: 3CR Community Radio. Giving voice to the community since 1976.
3: That's right, that's us. And on the line, we've got another great campaigner, and that's Liz Walsh. G'day, Liz, how are you? Hi,
2: good,
11: thanks.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, you guys have uh, decided that uh, it's important to highlight the um, uh, contamination, the environmental contamination in the western suburbs, which to, everybody seems to overlook.
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we Victorian Socialists are organising a community action um, for the 25th of September because there's a whole range of uh, environmental um, issues in the West. Issues of air pollution, um, you know, the destruction of our waterways, um, all of which you know has an impact on um, the health and well-being of people in the West. And it's clear that you know we have you know issues of, um, I guess industry, uh, basically um, using the western suburbs like a, you know, a rubbish tip and um, you know, not really taking the precautions to, to protect the environment. And if we're going to get any action on the issues that we face, we're going to need to come together as a community and put collective pressure on.
3: Well, if people have a memory before covid uh, this program covered quite a few of these atrocious outcomes for the West in terms of uh, the factory fire fires that were going on, the uh, unregulated um, uh, storage of uh, chemicals, that sort of stuff. Outrageous stuff.
2: Yeah, outrageous. And one of the, um, the big issues at the moment for the community is the ongoing um, fire at the Kielba Landfill site in Sunshine.
3: Yeah, um, which I, I was reading your thing and I thought, I didn't even know this.
2: It's been yes, going for two years. Yeah, well, nearly three years now, since um, late 2019. Um, so, yeah, local residents actually fought against this landfill being established in the first place in 2010, um, you know, saying you know, the Western suburbs are just te- treated with absolute contempt. We don't want a rubbish tip right next to our house. This wouldn't happen if it was, you
3: know, <laughs> <you> know too <t-rack laughs> What Melbourne.
2: Exactly, you know, that, but, um, but you know, they can walk all over residents here. And so, yeah, they fought against it and lost. And there's been this rubbish tip accepting kind of like, um, I guess, construction material, concrete, rubbish, um, tyres, uh, that kind of thing. And it's been on fire, underground fire, since late 2019. And, you know, while there's been a little bit of EPA action, they have had their licence suspended, the Barrow Group, um, so they can't accept new rubbish. There's just not the kind of scale of the sanctions that would be necessary to force the companies to clean up um, the fires quickly. Um, so it's always sort of like, we're investigating, we've put another notice in, you know, it's it's all pretty soft touch kind of stuff. Um, yeah, so that's kind of, I guess, the whole issue with the regulator and, um, you know, its approach is just about helping business to comply rather than um, having a much more... Um, you know, forceful, coercive approach to business actually um, taking the steps
3: to protect the community. So there's going to be a protest on Sunday the 25th and it's going to be at Sunshine Plaza, Hampshire Road in Sunshine. But this is just the beginning, isn't it?
2: That's right, yeah. So this is a chance for us to bring together a whole range of community groups um, to build more of a network, I guess, of people who are interested in fighting around um, protecting the environment and human health in the West. Um, There's been a a group of Kiaba residents, though, who've been campaigning around this issue for years pretty tirelessly. Um, There's also been community groups um, organising around the whole issue of uh, truck pollution in the West. In the the West, we have um, some of the worst rates of hospitalisation for things like um, um, heart, um, heart issues, respiratory issues, asthma and so on because of the enormous amount of trust pollution in the air, the particulate matter and stuff. Um, you know, there's been community groups about that or about in Sunshine North a, a paint factory that's been emitting um, fumes and also loud noise for years as well, affecting, again, the health of um, people in Sunshine North. So lots of community groups doing really important action Um, And we're hoping to kind of bring those uh, people together as well, because it can be, you know, a pretty sort of dispiriting experience. You know, the fact that you're up against you know huge bureaucracy, business and and the state, um, and action just never seems to really happen. So, um, yeah, helping to kind of hopefully remoralise some of these groups and and give them the kind of support that they need to keep on fighting.
3: Well, the last time I went to Sunshine, I was covering the demonstration around the dumping of PFAS, Mm -hmm. um, which is fascinating because it was uh, there that it became apparent that uh, their local member, who is the treasurer of this Mm -hmm. state, was um, uh, not necessarily their most favoured person. And, of (laughs) course, we're leading into an election. Yeah. Yeah,
2: well... um one of the local members, Suleiman, she, you know, recently sent a a, a letter um, about the issue of the Kielba, um rubbish tip fire, and it's like this is this has been going on for years, and there's been so so little kind of advocacy um, from the local Labour member. Um, people are pretty cynical about that, and you know, it's clearly just a bit of um, you know a bit of activity just in the lead up to the. Election when they've had years to really be um, trying to fight for the community. So, yeah, that's a really strong sentiment out in the west. The sense that um, the Labor Party takes the area for granted, being a long-term, you know, Labor stronghold, and it's just meant that the um, community gets overlooked on a whole range of things, not just you know the environmental um, destruction from industry, but also um, you know the lack of investment in community services like childcare, lack of funding for our schools. Um, you know, the appalling state of public transport as well. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely a real strong feeling. And um, the importance is to kind of, I guess, turn that sort of sense of anger into more action that, um, you know, nothing gets done um, if we're all kind of atomized. It's when we come together that and make a fuss about these issues that we can start to see action. And it's clear, like, around things like the EPA, they won't do anything unless the community is really vocal about it. Um, and, yeah, so that's kind of, I guess, sort of the orientation is the action on on um, Sunday the 25th.
3: And it's at 1 o'clock, and it's at Sunshine Plaza, Hampshire Road, Sunshine. And I know you can catch a train there. <laughs> you can, <Yep. laughs> Thanks very on. much for talking to me. And yeah, thank, thank you for too. fighting the good fight.
2: We'll keep on trying.
3: Yeah, good on you, mate. Bye. Okay, see you. Uh, yeah, that was Liz Walsh and uh, the protest, Environmental Contamination in the West, Sunday the 25th of September, 1pm at Sunshine Plaza, Hampshire Road, Sunshine. Go out and find out what's going on in another part of the city, which uh, people love. People love. When I went to the uh, event about CFAS, Uh, people are in love with their own city uh, and their own place and so that's why they're standing up and fighting. That's the end of the program today. Uh, Coming up next is Asia-Pacific Currents and I know I've played this before but Mia Dyson's song, Make a Stand, it's like water, water's powerful. Mm -hmm.
9: How much hate there is How much woe That's all